This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. I'm David Schiffer. Optimism, humility, a bias towards action, and an openness to new partnerships. Those are a few of the themes Anne Hancock-Toomey, founding partner and chief development officer here at Gerard, picked up on during her week at J.P. Morgan. Here, Anne and David Gerard discuss what she heard. I'm here with my uh, partner, Anne Hancock-Toomey, who's just spent uh, a good portion of 2020 in San Francisco at the J.P. Morgan uh, Conference. We want to talk to Anne a little bit about what she saw and heard and some conclusions that come from all that. Oh, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference is always a fun experience and experiment. Uh, it takes usually a couple of weeks to recover because it's uh, it's <laughs> nonstop action for about 16 hours a day for nearly a week. And it's it's there's nothing really else like it. I think most folks know that, you know, 50,000 healthcare executives and, and advisors and others who are connected to the industry descend on on San Francisco for the better part of a week. And interestingly, only, you know, 10,000 or so of them actually step foot in the Westin, which is where the, the conference itself is is held. And the rest of us uh, are part of the circus, or I think what folks affectionately call the meat market, where we're out just meeting and connecting and networking and visiting with with clients and old friends and uh, investors and, and new entrepreneurs and others, uh, finding out what they're up to. So it's uh, it's always a great way to start the year. And it's not just a hospital conference, right? It's hospitals, and but all other aspects of the industry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would actually say that the the hospital track is the shortest of the several, right? Mm-hmm. You've got pharma and device and, and biotech and uh, really every every sector of the industry and the health system track is is typically a draw for, you know, the larger, more sophisticated leading health systems. Though the advisor network that, you know, is is out there and connected to them or are all there in force. And so we spend a lot of time with those folks. And you get a sense of how much money just as it play in the healthcare industry. It's unbelievable. I mean, we've known that now for the last couple of years, right? That the the PE dollar is uh, is flush and it's it's flowing into all aspects of of healthcare um, and particularly in the provider sector. I mean, you know, we talked with a lot of of investors and others that are either on the health system side or part of other provider organizations. And I, we're not going to see any change this year uh, in terms of the amount of uh, investment made to tackle any number of the challenges that, that we're seeing in the industry. So lots of money going to providers, lots of money going into hospitals? Uh, not so much hospitals, not so much. I would say. No, um, you're going to continue to see the physician roll-ups. Um, I mean, I think that's a, a favorite uh, investment right now for a variety of the PE firms that are focused on on healthcare services in particular, all sorts of specialties that we've been seeing. I mean, from derm to GI to autism um, and the like. And so I think you'll you'll continue to see that, and I think you'll continue to see, uh, or maybe start to see some of what have been uh, roll ups that have come together in the last you know couple three four five years. Now those will begin to consolidate. So the mergers are going to become bigger. So it's consolidation and then consolidation and then consolidation. Yes. Nice. So you had like 370 conversations. About that. Yeah, 372. I and think. have you yeah. been able to distill the wisdom from all those conversations into some salient points? Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, a few. Yeah, there were some major themes, I would say. I, I would say just the tone overall was a bias toward action. 
I think we've long known that the traditional healthcare system and the 50,000 people out there have long known that it's it's not sustainable for today's modern age. And it's been, well, I don't know, there's been th- sort of threats of disruption to the traditional model. Mm-hmm. And I think now um, what were sort of predictions and sort of nibbles around the edges, people are, are beginning to see the flywheel turning that it's it's only going to accelerate. And so, you know, the traditional environment's going to change faster than anyone can predict. And I don't know that anyone really knows who the winners and losers are going to be. But overall, I would say from health system leadership that we talk to, to PE firms, to entrepreneurs in the digital space and in the health services space, everyone has a bias to action. Um, There was an energy there uh, that maybe I haven't seen before. Mm. And maybe maybe energy isn't the right word. It was an urgency. Urgency. So is is it a positive offense urgency or is it a defense if we don't do something we're going to be in trouble urgency. it depends on who you talk to uh-huh. right uh-huh. yeah yeah we actually asked that question uh to ever nearly everyone we met you know in, in 2020 for providers everywhere you know what what's one offensive move they should make and and what's you know a defensive mm. move they must make and uh the answers were often interchangeable it just sort of depended on who you were talking to right yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, so some definitely some core themes that we heard. I mean, there's a race for for patient loyalty, mm-hmm. no matter who you talk to um, in the provider industries for your traditional health systems. They realize that you know patients are demanding a better, faster, cheaper, more convenient experience, um, and they're used to getting that experience from you know, other businesses that they seek out. And so they have higher and different expectations of the healthcare that they're seeking. And they're more involved in the decisions, decision making about healthcare than ever before. And so if you're a health system, you know, you're, you're really focused on the digital front door, how do you stay in front of the, the patients who are already loyal to you? more frequently, frankly, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm an Amazon Prime member and I am on Amazon pretty much every day, right? Mm -hmm. They're interacting with me as a consumer every day. Your average patient might interact with their healthcare provider once, twice a year. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's a, there's definitely a realization that if I'm a health system, a healthcare provider, and I'm going to be competing with the likes of Amazon or Walmart or others who are interacting on a more frequent basis and a more sort of meaningful basis with consumers, then I need to find ways to do that too. That's a long way from running an intensive care unit uh, at a hospital. It's a big change for these systems. It's a big change for these systems. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so that's an offensive sort of approach, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, a lot of these um, health systems aren't necessarily building it themselves internally, but they're partnering, right, with uh-huh. or investing in platforms that are really um, savvy, sticky, consumer-based digital tools uh, and, and implementing those, which is, you know, not always easy because it's it, it requires providers to act differently and to be available mm-hmm. uh, in different ways than they ever have been before. So they're not feeling like they have to build it from scratch. So the idea of Partnership and coalition, uh, is that one of the themes that yeah, you saw? Yeah, creative partnerships uh, was certainly one of the themes that I that I heard time and again. And it's upstream and down, right? So it's mm-hmm. um, if, if Walmart and Walgreens and some of these urgent care models and micro hospitals and, and even Amazon are, are new entrants into my market and are touching my patients, then instead of competing with them, how can I partner with them? So that's sort of the... 
So that the larger, more collaborative partnerships that they're looking at, but then in their own communities, I think more and more health systems, particularly the ones who have some scale and are have a real regional presence, see themselves as sort of the convener of um, of a healthier community. So a convener of all the businesses and social services that that touch a community and that enable a community to be healthier. I mean, you know, we all know about the social determinants of health and and that a a hospital can only really um, attribute 10% to a person's health, right? Right. Or or, or be able to affect it in in 10%. And the rest is is access to food and education and transportation and housing, et cetera. And so I think, you know, these systems are also realizing that their ability to be successful in handling the needs of their community is directly related to their ability to be a convener in their communities with all of these organizations so that they can be form a coalition to tackle it in a more holistic and meaningful way. And isn't one of the challenges of that is there's no money in it, right? You, you got to follow the money. And right now our, our system for reimbursing hospitals uh, for their care is heads and beds. I mean, we're still there, right? So I, I would imagine for organizations to be able to pursue this transformation, they've got to have they got to have scale. I mean, they've got to have size and breadth so they can carry this risk that we're talking about as they try to become something other than what they are. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And, and that, you know, we're seeing that play out over the last couple of years. I mean, M&A within the hospital and health system universe hasn't necessarily slowed down, but the deals are getting bigger. Right. They're mm-hmm. getting more complex, stretching across um, sort of super regions and even even a national platform. I, I would imagine that that's only going to continue because um, yeah. you're right. I mean, they have to they have to have that kind of scale to be able to take on that kind of risk, which is the right investment for them to be making. But it may not be an investment that they see pay off for five years, 10 years. So if, if you're a struggling community hospital and you're you're looking just to continue your existence, let alone thinking about scale and growth, how do they think about the future? Or is it incumbent upon them to think about the future in partnership with one of these larger systems? Well, I think it's the latter. I mean, another thing I heard sort of across the board, and I'm sure is very much on the minds of the boards and leaders of those smaller community hospitals is we've got to get, we've got to get cost out of the system, right? We have to be able to operate in a leaner environment. And, and some of that means sort of taking a hard look at partnering really closely with employees and physicians within those, those organizations mm-hmm. to find ways to be more efficient. How do we also push as much of the care as, as can be safely delivered outside of the walls of a hospital into a, a, a lower cost environment, which frankly is better uh, and more attractive for patients to begin with, but then also partnership. I mean, I think it yeah. you have to be thinking about partnership. You know, it, it may not be full-on membership substitutions and being absorbed into a larger organization, but it it may be creative collaborations and joint ventures and um, alliances to be able at least to have, you know, scale for for purchasing power and the like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that's that's very much on the minds of of every health system uh, board and leader. Leadership team, particularly, as you said, the community hospitals. The community hospitals. In fact, I can't think of a single hospital who hasn't operated for years and decades in some kind of partnership. Partnership with independent physicians, partnership with their nurses, employees, partnership with managed care, partnership with the government. It's it's not a new idea, but it's another step to survival, I think, for some of these organizations, or at least giving them a position so they can transform into whatever whatever the future is going to go. There's been a lot of... Uh, scrutiny placed on hospitals in the last 
year. A lot of hospitals have not fared well in the spotlight. A lot of challenging media coverage last year, and I think it's going to continue. And this year, still on the hot seat. When, as you were talking with the health system leaders at J.P. Morgan, did you get a sense that they're that they're aware of this as well? Are they feeling it too, or not so much? I think they are. You know, one of the one of my favorite answers to the question that we asked about, you know, offense and and defense, came from an advisor who's been in the industry 30 years or so and and works intimately with health system leaders and boards all across the country, but is actually on the board of a, a large health system, one of the nation's largest health systems. And, and he said, you know, the greatest shift I have seen is a level of humility in the boardroom and among health system leaders um, that's related to a, a realization that the challenges we face in our healthcare delivery model are just too big. Mm-hmm to figure out on your own. And it's been a great thing to see because what it's leading to is, uh, again, that sort of bias to action. It's this sense of urgency that I have a responsibility as a healthcare provider to contribute to the solution, to help figure it out, but I don't have to do that alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I can lean on peers in the industry. I can lean on you know really interesting innovation platforms and investment platforms. I can um, partner with 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 certain entrepreneurial ventures who I guess are being called sort of disruptors. Right. I can partner with them to enact some of that for my organization. So the bias to action is born of it's going to change, mm-hmm. right? So do I want to be a winner or a loser? And how do I, what can I do? And so, you know, I, they seem to realize that there's a target on their backs. But the ones I talked to were not as defensive about that as they were. And so I've got to be different, right? I have to, I have to think differently. I have to be willing to have hard conversations and be willing to strike partnerships that maybe I wasn't willing to that's a hard thing because um, a lot of health systems and um, hospitals have not been willing to make that change in the past. It's been easier to continue to suffer a little bit than do the hard work, right, and really implement um, the art of change. So, but your sense is there's there's maybe a recognition and a willingness to to act. I think so. Do you did you get a sense? Because I know there's there's a diverse group there at J.P. Morgan, and I know you talk with some folks from the PE world as well. So if hospitals and health systems are, are ready to partner, willing to partner, are the PE-backed non-acute care companies ready to partner with them? Or do they see hospitals and health systems as dinosaurs that are sinking into the tar pit anyway and let them go because we're going to eat their lunch? <laughs> uh, well, it probably depends, right? <laughs> but the smart ones are the smart ones see that you know ICU level care is never going to be able is never going to be delivered in the outpatient setting, right. right? So there's a place for the more traditional health system um, and its approach to really high acuity care mm-hmm. and complex chronic conditions and, and the, the brand and strength, right? right? And the brand some of these strength, are exactly right, uh, established and strong, established for um, you know more than a century. And so, yeah, I would say that the the smart ones are looking to partner with some of the more traditional and established players, but of course there are others who are can't help themselves and are competitive and would love to eat eat their lunch. One of the most interesting takeaways from J.P. Morgan was from uh, Tara Bano, Modern Healthcare, who talked at length about the 
the move toward diversification of portfolios for hospitals, like mm-hmm. what they're doing. It's no longer just getting patients into the beds in the acute care setting, but really expanding, uh, which, uh, which I think reflects what you're talking about, too, looking beyond the hospital walls to, uh, to how we're going to generate revenue and create patient loyalty and capture those patients for the long for the long term. Is that... Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I talked to a number of health system CIOs, so chief innovation officers, I should say, uh-huh. I should clarify, yep. as well as the the heads of some of the investment funds that have been formed by these health systems, um, and then others who are are associated with you know innovation funds where health systems are LPs, they're investors in these kind of R and D investment platforms, and I, so what I what I saw across the board was um, particularly for some of the the leading health systems out there who are or typically who you see at J.P. Morgan, frankly, um, they're all more and more sophisticated in how they're thinking about innovating uh, and investing, right? And so they think about it really in, in three ways. All of them are either have their own venture fund or they're associated with a venture fund, and they think of the, those as hunters and gatherers, right? They're identifying these are problems that we're trying to solve internally as a health system. What are really interesting companies that are out there we could invest in and then mm-hmm. pilot within our system? So that's mm-hmm. sort of one piece of it. They're also thinking about incubating and partnering really closely with physicians and, and employees, much like academic medical centers have been doing, I think, for a longer period of time. But these are more traditional healthcare providers we're talking about. So they're looking for what are really cool things that we're doing internally now that's solving common problems in the industry. And how do we incent our folks to be thinking mm-hmm. about that all the time? Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is thinking about acceleration. So as they, as, as they identify those solutions to common problems that they've created internally and have piloted, then how do they commercialize those, right? How do they find funding for them and uh, the right sort of platform to, to get it out there um, so that other peers can benefit from the innovation as well? So yeah, I think if it's right right into sort of the diversification of their portfolio, but also how they're thinking about solving problems themselves in a variety mm-hmm. of different ways that healthcare providers are everywhere experiencing. And it sounds like they're recognizing what they've done in the past won't necessarily solve the problems in the future. And I, and I love the idea of of them seeing themselves as living laboratories, That's right? exactly opening it. themselves yeah. up to to their to their platform and to their you know patient care paths, so they can try new things. So it takes a little courage in some of that. It definitely does. Um, but there's a lot of energy behind it. Of all the things that I heard and, and saw while I was out there, that might be the thing that got me the most excited. Can we invest? We should invest. We should, we should totally invest. Okay, yeah. let's talk about that offline. Okay. Okay. 